So we, uh, Cooper's going to get mad at me, but we went on a, uh, a little trip this weekend. Uh, Cooper and I and another dad and his son, we, we went downtown to Oklahoma City and we hopped on the train, the Amtrak, and we rode to Fort Worth. We went to the Ranger game this weekend, which is like just something just we did with just kind of dads and sons. And, but it, it's incredibly fun, but it's a really, really long train ride. It's like four hours, all right? So they kept asking, are, you know, are we there yet? Are we going to get there? Are we there yet? We finally got off the train. It felt like it had been forever, and they were all excited. And Cooper looks at me, and he goes, Dad, do they still speak English here? <laughs> and I go, I go, buddy, this is Texas. They invented English, right? No. He, go, he was like, they still speak English? And I thought, That's, I mean, our worlds, you know. I mean, he thought we might as well have gone all the way down to Peru. You know, we had just kept going and going. We were in, in Fort Worth, and I, I loved it. It was a great time and a really neat kind of moment for us, and and I was thinking as we were kind of on that train, I was thinking about all that we've done over these past 16 weeks as we've kind of explored and, and really walked verse by verse through the book of James. And kind of what God has done in my heart and kind of what he's turned my, you know, in the areas that he's turned my life upside down in as we've kind of looked at these verses and really explored it. And, and to kind of bring it to a close today is, is, is really kind of bittersweet for me because it's, it's challenged me in really different ways uh, maybe in a different way than I've been challenged by the Word of God in a real long time. Um, as I've come face to face with my own sinfulness and the, the beauty of the gospel and my need to really surrender my life, all of it, every little part of it to Jesus and my desire, my deep desire to move beyond a mediocre Christian life. And we've been exploring the book of James in that context, really talking about so many of us live lives that are in the middle. You know, we live spiritually kind of mediocre lives where we know God's calling us to more, yet we're petrified to truly surrender our lives. And what would it really look like if we gave all of our hearts to Jesus and said, God, I will follow you where you lead me and I will trust you. And, and you can have all of me. And we talked about the authentic life that we're called to as followers of Christ. And we've, we've looked at the gospel in the middle of James and the call of Jesus Christ and the, 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 the idea that we have got to lay down our hearts and, and truly trust and live. And it's been a great journey. And kind of bringing it to the end today is, is really interesting because... James, as we talked about last week, really reminds us of our desperate need for Christ. Our desperate need for Christ. And last week we talked about prayer. Almost all of chapter 5 is built around the idea of prayer. And with all the talk about doing and needs and sort of uh, following and action, he brings everything back and he just says, listen, you basically can't do any of it without Jesus. And we talked about the role prayer played in our life and our need to pray in all circumstances and being in the middle of trouble and joy and struggle and hurt and how the church is called to come together and pray and what would it look like if we broke our images of church and prayer, turned them upside down and said, I want the church to be so involved in my life that they know my needs. We talked about confessing our sins to each other and how petrifying that thought is, but James is called to say, confess your sins to one another. What if the church was honest and real enough to talk about our own brokenness? And not wear masks and pretend that we're all okay. And then we talked about truly trusting Jesus. And not that, you know, that God will just, you know, answer every one of our prayers. But that when we pray, we'd be willing to surrender our will to the will of God. And we talked about all those different things. And I left the last two verses of James. Because I think the picture that James leaves us with is a picture that's really the call of the church. The call of the church to proclaim and be about the restoration of people. The proclamation of the gospel and the restoration of people. And, and I began to really think about the nature of the gospel. And it's really interesting how James sort of leaves all of this that he's done in the hands of the church. And basically says, 
What if the church lived this way? So we're going to be looking at the nature of the gospel this week and just some simple things that God has reminded me about, about the, the truth of the gospel and the call that we now have as the church to proclaim the God, the, the love of God that we've experienced um, as saving grace through Jesus Christ. So we're going to be in the book of James, chapter 5, last two verses, 19 and 20. And I want you to go ahead and get there. Um, if you've got a Bible in front of you, we've got some laying around if you need one. Um, you don't own one, keep it. We want you to have it. It's not stealing if I tell you you can have it. So. And even if you steal it, that's fine. So uh, just, I've got more laying around somewhere. So take it. We want you to use it. James chapter 5, last two verses. I'm going to read them, and then I want to I use it as a gateway to talk a little bit about some bigger things about the gospel that God has laid on my heart, and then we're going to revisit these last two verses as we kind of wrap it all up and talk about our call as a church. But, but let's look at these last verses together, and these are coming on the heels of James' call to pray. Remember, we talked about the prayer of faith and trust and confession um, and uh, really praying through all of our, our circumstance in life last week, and now this is going to come on the heel of that. And so let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll ask God to uh, to open our hearts to this truth. So, Lord, Lord, we thank you for these moments to gather in this place and just for the stillness of opening your word and for the opportunity to, to encounter you. We know that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you, that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrates even dividing joints and marrow, soul and spirit. Father, you are good. Lord, we pray that this morning as we encounter your word, we will be convicted about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll be convicted about our own condition, our own need uh, for restoration. And that as a church, God, we could be a church that proclaimed the love of Jesus Christ at the top of our lungs, that we wanted to be about the restoration of people, uh, the renewal of hearts, and that you place all this in our hands. Take just a moment and just ask God to, to teach you something this morning. Even if it's just something simple, just ask God to teach your heart. Take just a second and, and pray for someone beside you, around you. Just be in the habit of praying for other people. Just, just ask God to move in them. Even if they, you know, you're here for the first time, I think that's kind of weird. Just, just pray for them. Just say, God, I want you to just move in this person's heart. God, we ask that you would move in this place, Father. That you would open your word to us, reveal your truth to us in a way that would turn our lives upside down. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So listen to these two verses. The last two verses in the entire book, and we have now gone through every single verse, every single word um, over the past 16 weeks. And this is how James ended his book. My brothers, right, talking about fellow Christians. Remember, James has written to really a, a group of, a, a large group of Jewish Christians that are kind of scattered around the area, but they're followers of Christ. So when he addresses them as brothers, he's saying, my, my fellow believers, followers of Christ, brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Seems like a kind of odd way to end the book. There's no fancy sign-off, no, you know, uh, like Paul kind of does with his letters where he kind of leaves this sort of few thoughts here or there, and this is what, you know, in a challenge. He just sort of says, followers of Christ, brothers, if, if somebody wanders from the truth and you turn them back, you're saving a sinner from their ways, from death, and it covers a whole multitude of things. He just sort of leaves it there. And I really wrestled thinking through this about prayer and how James kind of wraps that up and where that really leaves us. And this week I, was, I met this woman who was broken, is broken. 
Um, she's HIV positive. Um, she's dying. She's hurt, and she's sad. And she asked me to pray for her. And we were standing there talking. She was sort of telling me some of her story, sort of crying, hopeless. It was about 40, but looked old. And she looked at me, and she said, you know, Pastor, I, I used to be a really good Christian. I used to go to church. I used to walk with the Lord. And then somewhere along the way, I started making decisions and started using and started doing things. And now I'm here. And I looked into her eyes, and I mean, she wears death. And I was thinking about these verses, about the church's call to proclaim the gospel, to be about the restoration of people. And I was thinking about the anguish in this young woman's voice as she talked about a life that once was and who she was now. And God reminded me about several things of the gospel that I want to I share this morning, and then I'm going to return to these two verses because I think they're really important for us just to hear because they were important for me to think through. Because we've clouded and complicated the gospel a lot, but the gospel is, in its very nature, is an amazing thing. And this is what, what God has kind of reminded me of this week. First of all, the gospel we need to think about its simplicity. See, we have the habit of really complicating things in our Christian subculture, right? We, we complicate stuff. We attach the gospel to our political agendas. We attach it to our social agendas. Uh, we attach the gospel to things. We use Jesus as a commodity to be traded when we need something or when we want something. We call upon God when it's convenient, but when it's not, we, we bail out. I mean, we complicate the truth of the gospel by attaching it to me and my world. We've created billion-dollar industries behind Christian literature, music, and books. And somewhere along the way, I believe the church, unintentionally, has complicated a truth that's really simple. And as I looked at this woman, as I stood there with her, and I realized the death that she was wearing, and I thought about just the nature of the gospel, that you and I are absolutely, totally dying in our sin. Dead, not sick, not wounded, not hurt, not struggling, not uncomfortable, but dead. The Bible's very clear about it. And that God in his infinite, amazing, redeeming love for us sent his son Jesus to die for our sins so that if we trust in him, we would have eternal life. And not eternal life that begins the day that we die, but eternal life that begins right now. And in a nutshell, that is the gospel. That is the truth. It is unchangeable and is unwavering. With all the kind of stuff that we do as followers of Christ, as Christians, we have clouded that and complicated that. And not that those things are bad. Not that denominations and worship styles and celebrity speakers and t-shirts and all that stuff is bad. But I believe it clouds and covers up the simplicity of the truth. And I think it's done an incredible disservice to the church because somewhere along the way we've turned church into a billion dollar industry and we've lost, lost the simplicity of the nature of the woman that was standing across from me dying without Jesus Christ. And I was looking at these verses and I was thinking about the nature of the gospel and all of its simplicity. That God loves us in the middle of our sin and struggle. Whatever your sin and struggle is and you don't have to be an addict 
You don't have to be dying physically. You can be empty and hollow and broken, whatever that is. And the simple truth is that God wants to rescue and redeem your heart. And I was thinking through that, and I also thought, you know, not only is the gospel kind of true in all of its simplicity, but it's incredibly relevant. I mean, the gospel has a, a relevancy that is, it is really amazing. And the word relevant for me really just means that it is, it is true and it is more real than anything that I know. The gospel is not some sort of antiquated uh, list of moral rights and wrongs or biblical facts. But the gospel meets us right in the middle of our lives, right where we are at whatever moment. I was thinking over my life, in the past two months, I've met several people that have been dealing with all kinds of lives issues. Some of them have just been in passing small conversations. Some of them have been amongst our, our family. But I've met with people that have, have had severe job loss. I've met with a couple that had their kind of idea of marriage shattered. I met with a, um, a woman that was dying of, of cancer. I met with um, a guy that was wrapped up in alcoholism. And I began to think about all those scenarios and how the gospel, that, that literally the sent nature of Jesus Christ meets us in the middle of all of our issues. But you and I spend so much time trying to cover up and mask our struggles and pretend that they're not there so that God might accept us. We forget the gospel is relevant in the middle of our struggle and hurt and pain right where we are. I dare you to go search scripture and you will find someone that is asking a diff- more difficult question than you are you will find in scripture people that are asking incredibly difficult questions of God. So whatever yours is, is not going to surprise God. He knows. Yet we forget that the gospel is literally the the action of Jesus Christ sent into our lives to meet us where we are. In the middle of whatever that hurt or struggle or pain or question or issue or fear or anxiety is, we don't have to clean it all up and then show up to God and say, look, I finally got my life back together. Now I can come to church. And God says, no, I'm going to step into your life in the middle of your disaster or struggle or hurt or pain or fear or whatever that little bitty thing it is. I want to show up in the middle of it and I want to turn it upside down. A couple of years ago, we were in Guatemala. And we took a team down there and we were going door to door just spending time praying for people and talking with them and then inviting them to come to little rallies we were having in the evenings. And, and I went into this house of this, uh, this young family. They were living with, it was a young guy and his wife and their young baby. And uh, they were living with kind of extended family as, as a lot of Latin American families do. And I remember sitting on his couch and it was raining outside and everyone was so hospitable. They just invited us to come in. And, and our whole concept was we just wanted to share the gospel with people and invite them to come and so I was sitting on this guy's couch and he was sitting across from me very attentive just wanted to know what we had to say and began to talk about God and God's love and and he listened and he listened and he listened and then you know he he asked a question and he said this is really hard for me to hear right now because my cousin was murdered just a week ago and he said I'm angry you know, and, and, and those families are so tight in Latin American cultures. And so he goes, I'm angry, I'm mad at God, and I'm not sure that God is real. All right, and I thought, I think a lot of us at some point in time have been there. Something's gone on in our life where we've said, God, where are you? And I could look into this guy's eyes and I could just see he was so wounded and hurt. And he had huge questions. And I have no answers. I mean, there's not an answer in the world to be able to share with someone in the middle of that kind of grief that's going to fix that and make it go away, which is our sort of Western Christian culture to get a book on how to fix whatever issue that is on you. They sell it at Mardell's, right? 
Is that really the answer? I don't have an answer for a guy that lost his best friend in a murder. So as I was sitting with this guy, I said, you know, I don't know, man. But I can only tell you this. I believe that God loves you. With everything that I am, I believe that God loves you. So I just invited him to come that night, and he was like, I don't know. So we're at that rally, and uh, I was preaching up on stage with the translator and all these things, and it was, it was a room about this size, maybe a little bit smaller, and, and uh, we were, I was kind of, we'd already gone through all the music, and I was, I was already into, halfway into this sort of message, whatever we were talking about, I can't even remember. And I look in the back of the room, and the door opens up, and, and here comes this guy and his wife and his little baby in tow. Not a lot of chairs, and they sneak into the back and file into that back row, and as a preacher, Right as a pastor, you, you would be ridiculously surprised at how m- much I'm not thinking about what I'm about to say. Instead, going, "Hey, I wonder who that is, or where they are. What's that guy doing over there, and who's that?" You know, and 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 I could not stop thinking about this guy that just came in, and I was thinking about his heart, and I was going, "God, I just I want you to just meet him, and I just want you to meet him where he is. The fact that he would take these steps and he'd come in, they sat there, and and we were already through all the good part of whatever I was doing. It was just at the very end." And I gave this invitation, talking about surrendering our needs to Jesus Christ. In these rallies, you know, we hope to have tons of people stand up, and no one stood up. No one, not a soul. Not only we raised our hand, we just shared the gospel with all these people, and no one stood up. And you get that sort of feeling like, okay, God, well, I know you're doing something. So I just said, you know, if you at a place where you want to surrender your life to the Lord, and I just kind of gave one more opportunity, and this guy slowly stood up by himself just stood up right there in the back of the room and then his wife stood up next to him I came down front and we pray, prayed and they received Christ and I sat there with that family one of the local pastors and I just said what brought you here and he looked at me and he, and he looked at me and said in Spanish to the pastor next to me translated he just said if all that you said was real about God's love and he's willing to meet me in the middle of my questions then I want to know that God kind of basically what he said and I thought, the gospel's so relevant. It meets us in the middle. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever struggle, whatever, however unappreciated, or whatever kind of fear you have, or whatever kind of anxiety you're dealing with, or whatever it is, the gospel is relevant, and God wants to meet you in the middle of it. Don't work on trying to clean it up and then present yourself to God. Let the truth of Jesus Christ wash over your life, cleanse you, and redeem you. The gospel and its simplicity and its relevancy. And, th- and then finally, I was sitting there looking at this woman, not knowing how much longer she had left in her life, and I began to realize the urgency of the gospel. See, we, pr- we approach life with a lot of urgency and things, right? Dates and calendars and, and bills to pay and school to finish and punctuality things, and we're always running from one thing to another. It seems like there's always something else, always something else, and life is a series of, it's like some kind of moving train, Right? And it's just fast, and it feels like sometimes we get all caught up in it, and everything in our life is urgent. It all has to be done. But very few of us approach the gospel with the same sense of urgency in the life of people. You hold the key to eternal life as a follower of Christ, Jesus Christ. Yet we don't approach the lives of the people we love with the urgency of the gospel message. Right? We don't take the gospel with the same sense of urgency in the world. In fact, it takes most of us two or three years before we really broach a subject of something more than football or golf or kids 
with our neighbors. Most of us are more worried about offending people if we actually use the name Jesus than we are about the fact that that person is dying in their sin without Christ. We have no sense of gospel urgency. We have no sense of the fact that this message is true and it is eternal and it is the only hope and that it has been entrusted to the church. And I started thinking about these verses and about how James is basically wrapping up saying, listen, followers of Christ, if someone wanders, you pursue them, right? You pursue them with the message that he has just basically laid out in all those first four and a half chapters. You save them from death and cover a multitude of sin. I thought about this woman. And now she looked at me and said, you know, I used to walk with the Lord. I used to go to church. I used to have a different life. And I don't know what happened, but I wonder, and I just, I just wonder, I'm not blaming anyone or anything, I just wonder if anyone from the church, and not church like, you know, church with steeple and whatever, but church, followers of Christ, anybody in the church, little C, big C, I guess, pursued her, chased her, as she wandered from the truth, wanted to see her heart redeemed and restored, and pursued her. And what her life might look like if someone did. If we took seriously the call of the gospel, the proclamation and the, the restoration that is kind of given to the church by Jesus Christ to be his hands and feet. And then we saw someone who we loved and cared about or just anyone that we loved or cared about the same way that God did. And we pursued their lives and said, I don't want to see you broken. I want you to hear about the truth. And I thought about my own life and how the gospel I've created is a gospel of convenience. When it's convenient for me, I'm all about it. But when it's not, you know? James ends this picture of his kind of letter with really a call to the church and about the restoration of people, about the proclaiming the gospel, and about living the, re the redemption that we've been given through Jesus Christ. See, because you've been saved, delivered as a follower of Christ, you've been literally purchased, as we talked about in, in, in James chapter 1, you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, you are a slave to Christ. We now have the call to live as that reflection in those hands, those hands and feet, to be about the gospel and to be about restoration. But our Christian culture has so wrapped us up in our own lives and made this so much about me, what I like, what I don't like, the kind of music I like, the kind of music I don't like, the kind of preaching I like. We show up at different churches and we shop with a consumer mentality like we're looking for a, on a buffet line. Because somehow church and gospel is about what you owe me. And if you don't have a program for this, then I'm going somewhere else. We fed into that addiction as Christians. James basically says, be about restoration. If someone wanders, chase them down. The message you're sharing with them saves them from death. Who do you have in your life right now, and I know you're thinking about them, that you know you need to share the gospel with, that you just need to love well? Get past whatever issue you have 
and start living with gospel urgency. Be about the restoration of people. Chase someone down and just say, look, I can't answer all your questions, but I can tell you this. I believe with all my heart God loves you. The gospel in its very nature is it's simple and it's relevant and it's urgent. And James wraps this whole thing up. And I had this whole great deal where I was going to do all these sort of little highlights and show you where we've been, but really I can't get past this message of gospel. James wraps the whole thing up by saying, be about restoration, church. Be about loving people the same way that God has loved you. What are we proclaiming as a church is a question that sits with me. We're proclaiming our own growth, our own needs, our own whatever. We're proclaiming a redeeming message that's changed our lives that we want the world to hear. And we do it with every single thing that we have. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the simple message of truth. You don't need to complicate that up or tell a bunch of, add a bunch of things to it. It's just real. The Father, the gospel in its very core is simple. I mean, it's complex, but it's simple. And it's relevant, and it's urgent. And I truly believe that as a church, Big C, we have become lazy and addicted to our own selfishness. Father, we have people in our lives that are drifting. Maybe those people are us. Maybe we need someone to reach out to us, to pursue us. God, the the gospel is pursuing. It's relentless. You never give up. And God, I pray that we would feel that way in our call to love people. That we'd be relentless in our pursuit of them with the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the way you relentlessly pursued us. Meet us in the middle of our struggle, our fear, our hurt, and redeem our brokenness. Fathers, we close in worship. May our, our worship be a cry of gospel truth. May it be a joyful proclamation of a redeemed people that want to see the world redeemed through Jesus Christ. All people, all people groups, meet the only God that can save. We thank you for your faithfulness over the past 16 weeks, God, and that your word stands alone. So hear our cry as we close in worship.